Let's pray together. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Father, I trust that this will be true today, that wherever your name is proclaimed, your people will truly, from their hearts, worship you. Father, we long for the day when we will all stand in your presence and worship in a totally unadulterated and uninhibited manner, where we will not only read of your glory, but experience your glory in its fullest extent. Oh, Father, we're so thankful <clears throat> for the manifestation of who you are through the Word of God. And I ask that your Word today will be opened to our uh, minds and hearts by your Spirit. He is the one who has interpreted it to us through the years, and I pray, Father, that we'll be sensitive to his voice this morning. We ask you to bind the evil one and to remove all hindrance to the work that you would do in each of our lives today, not only in this class, but in every class on this uh, campus uh, this morning and in the service, which is concurrent. We ask, Lord, that our minds will be focused and our hearts will be attuned to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to read from Numbers chapter 27, 27th chapter of Numbers. We are doing the preparatory work to understanding the book of Joshua and the life of the man, of Josh, the man Joshua. And as I'll be highlighting uh, towards the end of the class this morning, Joshua is referred to many, many times before we ever get to the book of Joshua. And it's because he was in training for the work that God would have him to do. So Numbers chapter 27, reading at verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up to this mountain of Abarim, and see the hand which I have given to the sons of Israel. And when you have seen it, see the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. And when you have seen it, you too shall be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother was. For in, the for in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to treat me as holy before the eyes, their eyes at the water. These are the waters of Mirabah, of Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, anoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them, and who will lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, and have him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. And you shall put some of your authority on him, in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim, before the Lord. At his command they shall go out, at his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. I think we have to remember that for Moses this was a very difficult time of transition. Moses had been the leader of the Israelite nation for nigh unto 40 years. He had been through literally thick and thin, more thick than thin, I suppose, whichever way we interpret that little saying, I suppose. Times had been tough for Moses. 
He had borne the brunt. He had been on the point of the spear, as it were. And as a result, this man had carries the wounds of the 40 years of strife in the wilderness. And, and now, here is the moment where they're standing on the threshold of the land. And God said, Moses, you're not going in. Because you did not obey me at the waters of Mirabah, and there you took glory for yourself instead of according it to me, and as a result, you are not going to be able to go into the land. But another will lead the people into the land. Moses, of course, was disappointed to not be able to complete the work he had begun. Not everything comes in a neat package, we may have discovered so far in life. Sometimes we begin, but another will bring it to a conclusion. Sometimes we will bring to a conclusion what someone else has begun. But it is the work of the Lord, and, and we are His vessels in His hands to do with as He would. And if He chooses to begin something through us and not complete it, well, blessed be the Lord, even though that can be emotionally and even spiritually disappointing sometimes. But that's what Moses faced here. And he knew God was not going to change his mind because he had been to God before and he said, Oh God, let me go in the land. And God said, Cool it, Moses. You're not going in. Forget it. Don't bring this up again. I mean, God was very blunt with Moses after Moses had implored him more than once about changing his mind. And so he asked God to confirm the leadership succession. This is not to say that Moses had no idea who would succeed him. He knew that Joshua had been alongside him and, and had been uh, the, the one groomed for the task, but he, he did not want to presume upon God's prerogative of proclaiming the successor before all of the people. He didn't want to jump ahead of God. You probably have noticed that God does not seem to be in a big hurry most of the time. Uh, God seems to take his time about almost everything. And I think it's because uh, we are always suffering with what is called the tyranny of the urgent. Now, we've always got this big long list of things we've got to get done right now, or else, you know, the world's going to collapse, we think. And uh, God uh, simply says, be still and know that I am God. As you know, remember, Israel was poised to, to go across the Red Sea uh, there, and the armies of Egypt were pressing in behind. The people were getting antsy and wondering, when are we going to get out of here, you know? And, and God took his time, be still, be quiet, <laughs> hear me. But the enemy, they're getting closer. <laughs> you remember the old story of, most of you wouldn't, the younger members wouldn't remember the, the radio program, The Cisco Kid. <laughs> remember that? Pancho, or Cisco, the sheriff, he's getting closer. <laughs> this way, Pancho. <laughs> I'm showing my age, I know. <laughs> but when I was a kid, that was an exciting program, you know. <laughs> you listen to it now and you think, boy, it's corny. <laughs> But God, you know, God seems to take his time. Of course, we can put ourselves in God, well, we can't really put our God, our, our, ourselves in God's position, but since he is the Lord, we know he doesn't have to be in a hurry <laughs> because he's got control of everything. But, but it's for us to learn to have faith, to believe he will move when it's time. And so Moses is saying, okay, Lord, I'm not going to jump ahead. You confirm the leadership here. I think I know who it is, but Lord, you make it clear before these people. Joshua was qualified for the task by 40 years apprenticeship. I don't know about you, but if I were to join an occupation that required a 40-year apprenticeship, <laughs> you know, that's about time to retire. 
You know, you retire about the time you're ready to become a journeyman, you know. How long would it take you to become a master, you know, at the trade? But Joshua was, of course, going through apprenticeship, but in the process he was learning to be a journeyman. He was really learning to be a master under the Lord's direction. And who better to be qualified under than Moses? Moses was truly a great man. But what qualified Joshua more than 40 years apprenticeship, more than anything else, is in the 18th verse of that 27th chapter of Numbers, where the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God was resident upon the man Joshua. There is no doubt that adequate training is an important qualification for leadership in the service of the kingdom of God. There is no doubt about that. But by far the most essential qualification is to have the Spirit of God's anointing upon you as you minister in the kingdom of God. Training is very important, but training without the Spirit of God, forget it. You end up with many churches that we have in America today where death hangs like a pall over the congregation because the Spirit is not on the ministry of the Word, not on the pastor. The pastor, in many cases, doesn't even know who Jesus Christ is personally. I mean, we're living in a day today when the pulpits are filled with what are known as biblical minimalists, people who want to reduce the Bible as much as possible. And they want to say, well, that was probably just a coincidence or really doesn't mean that or it's just the interpretation of somebody who lived 4,000 years ago. And what could they know, you know? And that, that, is a, that is a tragedy, that is for sure. All the training in the world, however, is of no value without empowerment from on high. That is absolutely critical. But at the same time, empowerment from on high is enhanced by adequate training. And I think both are important, but there is no substitute for being spirit-filled in the service of the kingdom of God. And so Joshua is a man upon whom the number one qualification rested. He was filled with the spirit. And then he had the second qualification, 40 years of apprenticeship under Moses. Being on the mountain with Moses part of the time, and below Moses, of course, when Moses was in the cloud, but nevertheless on the mountain. And with Moses, side by side, in so much of what Moses did, he was a man of tremendous experience. But Joshua would need all this training, because as he had noted, you know, having walked with Moses all the years that he did, I don't think Joshua was all that thrilled about becoming the leader of the land, of these people because he knew how difficult they were to deal with. How often they would do this and then say that, you know. And, and yes, oh yes, we're going to serve the Lord. And then 40 days later, they're building a golden calf and worshiping it in all kinds of immoral ways. So Joshua was going into the job with his eyes wide open. But, of course, he would need the wisdom of God to lead this people because he not only was going to have to lead them in the conquest of the land of Canaan, but once the land was conquered, he had to supervise the apportionment of the land to the tribes. He and Eliezer were to oversee the apportioning of the land and giving to each tribe and to each individual. Yes, there was to be a member, a leader of each tribe that was involved, but 
Joshua and Eliezer were ultimately responsible. As uh, Harry Truman had his little sign, you've heard about it, on his desk, the buck stops here, so it would be with Joshua. He was ultimately responsible, no matter who else was to be involved in the work that had to be done. Let's turn to the third chapter of Deuteronomy. Begin reading at verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 3. Then I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess it. All you valiant men shall cross over armed before your brothers, the sons of Israel. But your wives and your little ones and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall remain in your cities, which I have given you, until the Lord gives rest to your fellow countrymen, as you and they also possess the land, which the Lord your God will give them beyond the Jordan. Then you may return every man to his possession, which I have given you. Now, what Moses is doing here, the Lord is through Moses, is talking to the two and a half tribes that settled in Gilead. Gilead is on the east side of the Jordan River towards the rising sun. Gilead is in what is today the country of Jordan. And Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh were given that territory on the condition that they go with the rest of Israel in the conquest of the land. And so that's what Moses is referring to here. Verse 21. And I commanded Joshua at that time saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So the Lord shall do to all the kingdoms into which you are about to cross. Do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. I also pleaded with the Lord at the time saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth that can do such works and mighty acts as thine? Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough, speak to me no more of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes to the west and the north and the south and east and see it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him for he shall go across at the head of, his, of this people, and he shall give them as an inheritance the land which you will see. So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Peor. This is the final recounting of all that God had done for Israel during the Exodus and in the conquest of Gilead. And Moses used this historical context to encourage the people to follow Joshua and to encourage Joshua to lead the people with bravery. The entire generation that was going to be to take part in the conquest. Now remember, all those 20 years old and older at the time of the Kadesh Barnea spy incident who had said, we can't go into the land because the people are too strong. That whole generation had now died out in the, well, subsequent 39 years of wilderness wandering. So the generation that was now prepared to go into the land was the generation that had grown up under Moses' leadership from 19 years of age on down. And people born while not knowing anybody else as a leader but Moses. And, and so here is this generation ready to go into the land except for Joshua and Caleb. They had never known any other leadership 
except that of Moses. Think about that for a minute. Never known any leadership except that of Moses. You know, there were people who lived in the late 19th century, middle 19th century, uh, who never knew any other ruler in England except Victoria. Queen Victoria came to power in 1837 and she didn't die until 1901. I mean, there were people in England who never thought of the, of the monarchy of England as anything but feminine, Her Majesty, because that's all they had ever known. And, and you can understand how it was difficult for them to transist into her son, who was a bit of a playboy and in all the rest of it, not anything too foreign to us today is what we understand, but it, it was very difficult for a lot of people. And, and they, they were thinking, well, things aren't looking so good for the country anymore. Well, I mean, put this into the context here. Not that Joshua is uh, anything other than a truly godly man, but, but just to have only known Moses, this man who is now 120 years old, you know, as your leader, <clears throat> and seeing how God had worked through him. And now to think that we've got to move over to this younger man. Now, Joshua isn't exactly a kid. He's probably pushing 80 by this time. But it, it still is a difficult transition for the people. So Moses is saying within this whole context of all that is happening, has happened, God has been faithful to you. He is still going to be faithful to you, whether I lead you or Joshua leads you. So trust in God and in the leadership of Joshua and Joshua be encouraged to lead these people valiant. They needed this encouragement to be able to trust in the leadership of Joshua alone. I mean, they had seen Joshua. He'd been Moses' right-hand man, and, and almost wherever Moses was, Joshua was. He was almost like his alter ego. And, and so he was not an unfamiliar presence, but to suddenly shift your full trust from this man to this man was hard. And so Moses was trying to prepare them for this transition. Joshua had huge sandals to fill, as it were, and Joshua knew it, and so did the people. A few weeks later, the time came for the official public transfer of power, the passing of the mantle, as it were. Joshua had been, as we read, already anointed officially before the people by Eliezer, but this was the moment when the mantle would actually make its move, as you would think of it, as Moses gave it over to Joshua and the commissioning from the pillar of fire occurred, because that, of course, is ultimately the official commissioning. Deuteronomy chapter 31, beginning at verse 1. Deuteronomy 31, 1. So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to come and go. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. Now, let me just give a little editorial note here. When we talked about this passage, when we were dealing with the life of Moses, I noted this, but some of you weren't here. When it says, when Moses says, I am no longer able to come and go, he is not talking about the fact that he's bedridden here. Uh, because the scripture tells us that when Moses died, he still had the strength, you know, he still had good eyesight, good hearing. He, he had strength to climb a mountain. He had to climb a mountain in order to die. Most of us, when we're ready to die, could hardly flop into bed, let alone climb a mountain. But Moses, of course, didn't die of old age. He died simply because God took his spirit. 
And so what he's saying here is, I am no longer the man called to lead you. And I think indirectly he's also referring to the fact that he isn't exactly a, a, a good general on the battlefield anymore. You know, and generals in the battlefield in the ancient days weren't always the kind who stood on some hill far away like Napoleon and ordered the troops off into battle, but was out there in the forefront leading them like Alexander the Great, first onto the battlement, first in the flying wedge, you know, right at the brunt of the fighting. And, and Moses, of course, didn't have the strength to carry on as a youth in warfare, and I think that may be part of what he is saying here. Verse 3, It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will lead you across, ahead, uh, will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them, just as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will deliver them up before you, <clears throat> and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes before you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. <clears throat> and the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. <clears throat> then if you'll turn to verse 14, or drop down to verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the time for you to die is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting that I may commission him. Now, he's already been publicly anointed by Eliezer, but God is going to commission him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood at the doorway of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to die. lie down with your fathers. And this people will arise and play the harlot with the strange gods of the land into the midst of which they are going and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them and hide my face from them and they shall be consumed and many evils and troubles shall come upon them so that they will say in that day, Is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. Now therefore write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips in order that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. For when I bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous, then they will turn to other gods and serve them and spurn me and break my covenant. Then it shall come about, when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify before them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten from the lips of their descendants. For I know their intent, which they are developing today, before I have brought them into the land which I swore. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the sons of Israel. Then he commissioned Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. 
How would you like to be told that you have labored in this vineyard all these years, and once you're dead and the people get to where they have been intending to go, they're going to forget all about me and everything you taught, and they're going to play the harlot. You'd think, eh, why have I done this? You know, My whole work wasted. If we've walked in obedience to the Lord to serve Him, not a moment has been wasted. No matter what is the fruit in intermediately down the line. There have been many times when pastors have established a congregation and built it up and then gone on to another one and they've heard of how their former church has withered away and splits have come and all the rest of it. And, and they could probably think, oh no, you know, all that effort wasted. No. If they have been anointed of God and used of God, the, the effort is not wasted. It is simply human nature. I mean, we are like a pendulum, you know. One minute we walk in obedience and the next minute you wouldn't even know we knew the Lord sometimes. That's really unfortunate. God's goal, of course, is to get us on the other side of the pendulum more often. But uh, that, that was the story of Israel over and over again, as I think we well know. The last thing Moses was to teach his people was the song of Moses and then to pronounce the blessing of Moses. This song was to be formulated within the framework of Moses' last hours of leadership, within the framework of the transition over to Joshua. And it was to be memorized by the people so later on it would come and it would speak to their hearts and they would be convicted as we read at the end of verse 17, when all these troubles come upon them, they will say in that day, is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come? They recognize the truth. Why do they recognize the truth? Because the word is there and God's spirit uses it to convict them. Just as if you were listening to, to uh, Erwin Lutzer this morning, he was talking about the famous story of, uh, of David and, and Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet coming along. I mean, have... David been a man who didn't know the word, he would not have been convicted by Nathan's words. But when Nathan said, thou art the man, he was smitten in his heart because he knew God and he knew his word and God used it to convict him. And that's what God gives this song of Moses, as it were, for to use later on to convict the people of their sin. In the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy, we won't turn to it, but in verse 34, uh, 44, we read that Moses did all of this with Joshua by his side, reaffirming Moses' words. Thus, as Moses gives the song and he gives the blessing, there's Joshua right there as it is happening. And, and, and what Moses is doing is transferring it all, channeling it through Joshua, and Joshua becomes the man responsible for the people hearing and the people responding appropriately. He now has to take responsibility for his people. After Moses ascends the mountains of Abarim and has his last earthly communion with God, and God takes his spirit and buries his body in a secret tomb, Joshua no longer can say, I have a backup, I have Moses. No, Joshua has no one to turn to but the Lord himself. Joshua must now assume the full burden of the responsibility of the leadership of these people. And I think it came onto his shoulders very heavily to know now is the time. Moses is no longer here. It's all mine to deal with. He is responsible now for leading the people to the fulfillment of their dream of the conquest of the land. 
He is responsible for carrying out God's pronouncement that they occupy and conquer the land. It is his job. Think about it now. Here you are. You're on the plains of Moab. You're at the north end of the Dead Sea on the east side. You're looking across the Jordan River, and off in the distance you can see the walled city of Jericho, and then you can see the escarpment rising up to the Judean highlands, and you know that up there are many walled cities and armed forces, and you've got to lead this motley crew across the river and against these mighty establishments, and all you have is the promise of God. You don't even have Moses anymore. Did, did Joshua perform any miracles? I mean, Moses stood there and held his staff out in the Red Sea parted. Moses touched a rock and water gushed forth in, a, in the desert. What does Joshua have? Well, Joshua has the promise of God. And I think that's why so often, you know, it almost it becomes highly repetitive <laughs> as we keep reading the words, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Why is it there so often? Well, I think we can relate to that, can't we? Aren't we often feeling weak and non-courageous as we face a task that we feel we must do? God is constantly reaffirming His presence, and God is reaffirming that we can do it in His strength. And so Moses understood that, and, and he encouraged Joshua, and, and then, of course, God will do it directly Himself as we get into the first chapter in a moment of the book of Joshua. That he, Joshua, and the people were now ready for the great challenge of the conquest is indicated as you get towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy when we read these words. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. So the transition was completed. And the people said, okay, we understand Joshua is God's man. We trust him. We will follow him and we will have the victory. That, of course, is the greatest uh, moment of the transition for the hearts of the people to actually make the shift. We will follow Joshua. Altogether, Joshua's name is mentioned 28 times in the Pentateuch. In the last three Sundays, we have read most of those 28 references to Joshua in the Pentateuch. Never, if you remember, did any of those references refer to Joshua in a negative manner. That is not say Joshua was, you know, a man with a halo. It doesn't mean that Joshua was not a man of doubts, weakness, unfaithfulness from time to time. It simply means that in Moses' eyes, as this man was going through his apprenticeship, he was following God and Moses could trust him because God was preparing Joshua for this great job. God was and is the Savior of Israel, but he raised up human instruments. God can save, save whom he will whenever he wishes. But God almost never does that in a vacuum. Probably most of you, if you think about the time that you came to know the Lord, other people were somewhere involved, maybe directly in leading you to the Lord or in preaching the message or in pointing out the passage of Scripture you should read or singing the song you heard, whatever. And so it would be for Israel. 
God raised up a human instrument whose name gave credit to God because Joshua's name means, as we noted two Sundays ago, Yahweh is salvation. So the man who led Israel into the promised land bore the name of the one who is leading us today into the eternal promised land. Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 1. I'd like to read the first nine verses. Now it came about after the death of Moses. Those <laughs> are fateful words for the man Joshua. After the death of Moses. The last Joshua saw of Moses was Moses was climbing strongly up the escarpment to the east of the encampment up the mountains of Abarim. And as he disappeared over the crest of the mountains, it was the last that Joshua ever saw of him. And it was after, of course, the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Notice, did the Lord speak directly to Joshua while Moses was alive? You won't find any scripture that indicates that. But now Moses is gone. The Lord speaks directly to Joshua. You're the man, Joshua. You're in charge. You're my, you're my instrument. And so in verse 2 he says, Moses, my servant is dead. He's confirming that. Because remember, they never found Moses' body. Because the Lord buried Moses. He didn't tell anybody. For good reason. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river Euphrates and all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua has now stepped into the role that Moses had held for 40 years as spokesman for God before Israel. God will speak to Israel through Joshua now. All the promises, all the promises that had been made to the people through Moses will now be carried out through Joshua. All the promises God made to Joshua, uh, to Moses, are now transferred to Joshua. 
He was promised control of the land wherever he walked. So get your Nikes on, Joshua, because you got to do some walking. He was promised control of the land from this wilderness, the wilderness of Zin, which you've ever looked at it, you might say, why would he want it? But nevertheless, it was part of the promise. All the way to the north to Lebanon. Lebanon, the word Lebanon comes from a Hebrew root meaning white. And Lebanon is dominated by two mountain ranges known as the Lebanon and the anti-Lebanon mountain ranges. They run parallel to each other, parallel to the coast, and they're known as the White Mountains, hence Lebanon. From there all the way to the wilderness and from the Euphrates River, which passes, of course, through Iraq and into Syria and then up into modern-day Turkey, from that river to the Mediterranean Sea. This is all your land. Joshua, wherever you walk within that land is yours. I have given you these parameters. To the north, at least to the Latani, maybe to the Orantes, and to the south into the wilderness, to the Euphrates and to the sea. So how far are you going to walk, Joshua? These are the parameters you have to work with. A few months back, we studied the 34th chapter of Numbers, and there are given the exact boundaries that God had allotted to Israel. And we tried to trace them on a map. But we noted at that time that with the exception of the time of the reign of David and Solomon, Israel never occupied much more than half of what God had allotted to them. Never more, much more than half. Because if they possessed today what they were given by God here, they would not only control Israel of today, but Lebanon of today, Jordan of today, and parts of Syria of today, and of course a portion of the Sinai Peninsula which belongs to Egypt. Now they were kind of pressing in that direction about 1967 in the great uh, Six-Day War, you remember, when Israel in, in six days wiped out the armed forces of four other nations. And, and many of us looking at that thought, whoa, you know, <laughs> Armageddon can't be too far away. But 31 years later, um, it still hasn't uh, come. Why did they not occupy all of that land? Well, they weren't obedient. They didn't walk everywhere they could have walked. Joshua didn't walk everywhere he could have walked. He didn't take the promise literally. And certainly it wasn't because he wouldn't have had he had some encouragement from the people. But the people were always nagging and dragging. They didn't see the vision God had for them. And they wearied of the struggle. Now we can't help but somewhat sympathize with Israel, can we? Wandering 40 years in the wilderness and now seven years of warfare to conquer the land. And we're not talking about warfare where you're driving tanks across and shooting at somebody two miles away. We're talking about hand-to-hand -hand stuff here, you know. It's very wearisome. And they got tired of it. And they thought, we have enough. We don't need to walk all the way up there or fight all the way up there. It's tough. Let's just, I mean, we got enough. No vision for the future, obviously. No vision that God had for them. And the result was disastrous. To this day, Israel is harassed by peoples who are descended from those who should have been destroyed and dispossessed from the land, but were not. 
And as you know, and, and as we get into Joshua a little ways, we're going to discover they didn't get to the third city before already they're making compromises and allowing people to live within the land whom God said were to be destroyed. And so it would go. Joshua showed a few chinks in his armor here and there. And it all rested in lack of going to God in faith and finding out what God would do first. And therefore, the conquest, as great as it was, as wondrous as it was, was not all it was intended to be. That is one way in which the promised land for Israel differs from the promised land for us. And that is heaven will be more than we can possibly imagine. But this parallel comes in that there are many who think they will get to the promised land who will not. Because although they said, Lord, Lord, have we not done this, that, and the other thing for you, he will say, depart from me because I never knew you. And so there's that similarity to this campaign. Well, I don't have time to develop today a very, very important concept that comes out of this first passage of Joshua. So I think I'll hold it till next week. Based, of course, on this, this powerful promise that God gave to Joshua that no one will be able to stand against you, and he meant physically and spiritually, your entire life. Can you imagine that? Wonderful promise. But it's really ours too, and we'll see how that comes to us next week.